This is one of those days that I wish we were singing these songs after the sermon today because then you would understand why we just sang these songs. So as I'm preaching, you remind yourself, we just sang about the battle belongs to the Lord and, and, and because of him we have overcome. So remember that. Matthew chapter 10 is where we are today. We're walking through the book of Matthew. We're calling this series different. Matthew 10 is where we are today. We got there last week. Matthew 10 is the second major sermon of Jesus in the book of Matthew. The first major sermon was in chapters five through seven, a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. I would call this sermon in Matthew chapter 10 the Sermon on Mission. And it's different from the Sermon on the Mount in a couple of ways. One, the Sermon on the Mount is for really a general audience. It's kind of for people who maybe they're just fans of Jesus. But the sermon on mission in Matthew chapter 10 really isn't a sermon that's for everybody. It's certainly not for those who are content with fandom related to Jesus. It's for those who are truly following Jesus. They want to be a part of seeing his name go forth into the world, to see his grace and mercy and salvation extend to the nations of the earth. They want to be a part of extending and establishing the kingdom of heaven in every square inch of planet earth. They're not merely fans, they're followers, and that's who this sermon is for in Matthew chapter 10. Last week, we looked at the first 15 verses of that, and Jesus in those verses was speaking very directly to the 12 disciples in that moment, specifically because he was sending them out then on their first endeavor to serve and preach and establish and extend the kingdom of heaven without Jesus right by their side. And so Jesus gave them some very practical, down-to-earth travel instructions. This is how you're gonna do it. This is what you're going to do. Stick together, he said. That was one travel instruction. Start where you are. Stay on message. Show compassion. Streamline stuff. Seek out like-minded people and shake off rejection and keep going. Now, we get to this second main part of Jesus' sermon, and here's where it gets a little tricky. Because as you begin reading in verse 16 and the seven or so verses we're going to dive into today, it sounds different. And the reason it sounds different is because Jesus is no longer just simply talking about that particular trip that the disciples were about to take. He's not only talking exclusively about them. When you get to verse 16, there is a sense there that he is talking about things that aren't yet happening, at least totally. It senses, it feels like, that he is beginning to look deeper out into the future. These verses are what you would call telescoping verses. They kind of start with Jesus dealing with the present, the here and now, and then they kind of telescope forward and outward. And these particular verses are going to telescope from the disciples all the way even to me and you today, and even beyond me and you today, and to an event that a lot of people refer to as the Great Tribulation. Now, this kind of telescoping scripture or telescoping prophecy, we find it in various places throughout God's word, and it can be a little wonky for us because you and I, as human beings, we're bound by space and time. 
We, we, it's like watching a parade. If you're from where I'm from, you could only see one of McKinney's records at a time in the homecoming parade, if you know what I'm talking about. I don't know what your hometown is, but that's the way parades look where I come from, all right? But with God, he can see the whole parade all at once. Past, present, future is all before God all at once because God is not bound by space or by time. So we should not be surprised when we come across these places in Scripture where it seems that God is talking about more than one thing at more than one time. It could be past, present, and future. He can do that. He doesn't need a highlight reel to look back at and go, oh yeah, that's what happened the other day. And he doesn't need a crystal ball to gaze into to see tomorrow. It's all before him constantly. So I think as we approach these challenging verses and understand the telescoping nature of them, it's gonna help us understand that what we're about to hear Jesus say today has already happened. What Jesus is saying today is happening. And what Jesus is saying today is gonna happen. And I know that's kind of weird, but that's the nature of this kind of passage of Scripture. So here's what I want to do. I want to read these verses straight through so you kind of get a feel for it. And you'll kind of sense that, oh, yeah, we're kind of moving into the future here a little bit. And then we'll back up and we'll try to unpack it. Okay, so let's look at it. Verse 16, Jesus says, look or, or behold, pay attention, watch this. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Be aware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you're to speak for you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. So last week, Jesus launches into the sermon on mission. He says, here's travel instructions. Stick together, start where you are, stay on mission, message, stay, uh, show compassion, streamline stuff, seek out like-minded people, shake off rejection, and keep going. Travel instructions. Today, trouble instructions. Trouble instructions. And let's be symmetrical. Let's give seven of those today, just like last week. Seven trouble instructions that Jesus gives. Now, before we start to look at those seven trouble instructions, this is where we need to start, right here, verse 16, because Jesus is saying something incredibly important you cannot miss here. It would be easy just to kind of skip over it, not pay attention to this, but you've got to pay attention to this because everything else pivots on this. It's so important. If you're a follower of Jesus today, this is us right here, verse 16. He says, look, I'm sending you out. 
sending you out. We talked about that last week. It's the same verbiage as he's casting out demons. Jesus is saying, I am sending you. I'm launching you. I'm casting you out to extend and establish my kingdom, to spread my name all throughout the earth. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now that is not normal shepherding protocol. That's just not a play in the playbook that the typical shepherd has. I'm sending you out to the wolves. That, that's not what you do. In fact, shepherds strive to do the complete opposite of that, to keep the sheep in, to circle them up, to protect them, to guard them. But you need to know this is no ordinary shepherd. And he has no ordinary sheep in his sheepfold. I want you to notice what Jesus didn't say to them. He didn't say, hey, watch out, because the wolves are coming in. He didn't say, watch out, because they're coming for you. Prepare to defend yourselves. That's not what Jesus says. He says, I am sending you out to them. I am sending you to the wolf pack. I'm sending you into the den of the wolves. This is a statement of aggression. This is a statement of attack. This is Jesus saying, okay, boys, we just won the coin toss, and we have the ball, and we're never gonna give it up. We're never going on defense. We're going on offense all the way to the house. This is William Wallace going out to pick a fight times a billion. That's what this is. Followers of Jesus don't play defense. We keep advancing his name. We keep advancing his kingdom. We keep moving forward. We're on offense. We're advancing his purposes, his plans into all the world. Jesus made this other beautiful promise. He said, I will, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's another offensive statement. Jesus said, the gates of hell are there, the city of hell is there and we're getting after it and they're not gonna stop us. The gates will not stop God's people on offense, an offensive statement. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, I'm sending you out to them. Sheep among wolves. Therefore, and this is where he begins to give us those seven instructions for where we face trouble. It's not gonna be easy. He's, he's casting us out to take his name, his gospel, his kingdom into this world. And trouble's gonna come. And so he gives us some instructions for trouble. Number one, be tough-minded. You and I are gonna have to be tough-minded if we're gonna follow Jesus. He says, be as shrewd as serpents. That word shrewd means wise or intelligent. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you gotta get your mind ready. You gotta get tough-minded, mentally tough. To be shrewd as a serpent means that you say the right things at the right time. You do the right things at the right time, in the right places, among the right people. To be shrewd as a serpent means you're always seeking to understand the best way to do the most important things in life. Being tough-minded as a follower of Jesus means your mind is fully engaged on him, on his purposes, on his word, and on his truth. 
Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is no time to be mentally lazy. We gotta be mentally tough as followers of Jesus, tough-minded, shrewd as serpents. Let me tell you three ways today to get a little more tough-minded as a follower of Jesus. Number one, fear the Lord. That's where it starts. Fear the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs 9:10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This explains why there's so much lack of wisdom, why there's so much foolishness in our world today because people do not fear the Lord. They do not respect and to honor the Lord. And listen, if you are weak when it comes to fearing Almighty God, if you're weak when it comes to respecting and honoring Almighty God, you're weak mentally then as a follower of Jesus. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of Wisdom, fearing the Lord will make you wise. It'll make you tough-minded. Second way to get more tough-minded is to marinate in God's word. How much time did you spend just marinating this week in God's word? Listen, if you're not doing that, you're not tough-minded as a follower of Jesus. When trouble comes, you're not gonna be ready. You gotta get marinating in the word of God. Psalm 119 says the word of God gives understanding to our minds. And then there's a third way to get a little more tough-minded, and that's choose to hang around the right people. I really pressed this when I had all of our students in here this morning. I said, you hang around turkeys, you're gonna be a turkey. You hang around buzzards, you're gonna be a buzzard. You want to soar with the eagles? You're going to have to gather some eagles around you. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, the one who walks with the wise will become wise. See, you determine who your friends are. Oh, y'all write this one down. This wasn't even in the notes. This just goes back to years of youth ministry. You determine who your friends are, and then your friends determine who you are. He says, you walk with the wise, you'll be wise but a companion of fools will suffer harm. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, we got the ball. We're on offense. We're taking it to them. It's not gonna be easy. Trouble's gonna come. So you're gonna have to be tough-minded. Secondly, second trouble instruction, we gotta be pure-hearted. We gotta be pure-hearted. He says, therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. That word innocent there means no mixture of evil. No mixture of malice or evil intent. I don't know if you've ever been attacked by a mean-spirited dove. Anybody? Anybody. That don't happen, man. That's just not the nature of doves. They, they have no mixture of malice or evil intent in them. That's why throughout Scripture, they kind of symbolize the Spirit of God and the peace of God. Doves aren't known for having malicious intentions. Jesus is saying, that's how it ought to be for you as my follower. That people would know that your yes is yes, your no is no. There's no mixed intentions or motivations. There's a purity, there's an innocence. So be tough-minded. We're taking the kingdom to the world and it's gonna get rough because we're going to the wolves. They're not coming to us, we're going to them. We're putting them on defense. We're putting them on notice. But they're gonna come at us. You gotta be tough-minded. You gotta be pure-hearted. Number three, we gotta be alert. Be alert. He says, verse 17, be aware of them. Be aware of them. Who's them? The wolves. And they come in all shapes, sizes, and forms. Be aware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me. 
to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. This is telescoping words here. These things didn't happen on that initial mission trip he sent them out on. He's describing something that hasn't happened yet to them. Now it has happened, it is happening today in some places around our world. Even in our own society to some degree, some of this is already happening in our own culture and it's gonna happen all the more. In fact, one day it's gonna even explode all across the globe. And he says, be aware or be alert. Pay attention, wake up followers of Jesus. Be watchful, be perceptive. And as we go follow Jesus to establish and extend his kingdom in this world, we're gonna encounter people that do have evil intentions. They do have malicious motivations in their heart. They do have an agenda. They're not following our Jesus, they're following another. They're not interested in his kingdom, they're interested in another kingdom. And because you don't fit as a follower of Jesus, their agenda, they're coming. They're gonna push back. They're gonna make life difficult. They're gonna try to cancel you. They're gonna try to marginalize you. They're gonna try to push you to the edges. And today, there are people around the world who love the same Jesus I love who are laying down their lives because they love Jesus. They are being persecuted in a way that you and I have not yet at least experienced. So be alert, Jesus says. You gotta pay attention. Keep your head on a swivel. Be tough-minded, pure-hearted, and be aware. Don't be caught off guard. Don't be surprised when wolves do wolfy things. It's gonna happen. And if it's not happening to you, it may be because you're acting more like a wolf than a sheep. But if you're following Jesus, don't be surprised, it's gonna happen. So what are we saying? Jesus is saying, I'm sorry, I'm a football guy. We won the coin toss. I think we won it when he came out of the tomb, right? And we're going on offense. Every play of the entire game, the rest of the way, till we take it to the house. We're taking the kingdom to the corners of the earth. But it's not gonna be Easy, troubling times are gonna come. So be tough-minded, be pure-hearted, be alert. Number four, be calm. <laughs> I'm so grateful he threw that one in right about there because I'm getting revved up. He's going, chill it. Call your jets, preacher. <sighs> Breathe. Be calm. This is amazing. Look at verse 19. He says, but when they hand you over, don't worry. Don't worry about how or what you are to speak. He's describing a scene where you're being handed over to the authorities. You're on the edge now of losing everything you have, potentially even losing your life. And Jesus says, don't worry about that. Don't worry. Philippians 4 says, be anxious for nothing. How in the world, Miss Margaret, are we gonna stay calm? When it reaches, when the trouble, when the wolves come at us at that level of aggression, how do you stay calm? Well, that leads to the fifth trouble instruction from Jesus, and it's this one, be confident. In that moment, you can be calm because you can be confident. Look at what he says, end of verse 19. Because you will be given, you will be given. This is a gift. You'll be given what to say at that hour. Because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. 
When you are headed to the fiery furnace of sorts or to the lion's den of sorts, when your life is being pushed to the very brink, Jesus says, don't worry, because I'm there. And I'm with you in that moment. Not only am I with you, but my voice will be in your throat. And the words that come out of your mouth will be my words. You don't have to worry. I will be fully present. And I will speak the words that I wanna speak through you. So what are we saying? We're, we're on offense. We're taking Jesus to the world. We're storming the gates of hell. It's not gonna be easy, so be tough-minded, be pure-hearted, be alert, be calm, be confident. Six, be resilient. Be resilient. Watch this, telescoping verses. We're fixing to go further in history. Some have already experienced this, what we're about to read. Some are experiencing it to some degree today. Many are gonna experience it in the days ahead. When it happens, be resilient. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Let me be very clear You will not be saved because you endure to the end. You will endure to the end because you are saved. The moment you were saved, God put his power in you, his Holy Spirit in you at the moment of salvation. In that moment, he, according to his perfect word, gave you everything you need for life and for godliness. You will endure because of Christ in you. His name is on you. His reputation is on you. His glory is on you. So endurance may look like you're gonna get to the end, but God's gonna pick you up and get you there. That's all right. But he who started this work, he's gonna be faithful to finish it, right? He's the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. You will endure to the end because of Jesus. But at the same time, because we know that to be true, that ought to give us an attitude of resiliency, grittiness. We will not shrink back. We will not back up. We will not quit. We will not turn and run. The armor of God has no provision for the backside. We will always move forward. We will always advance his name, his purposes, his glory, his kingdom. We will fix our eyes on Jesus and we will keep moving forward. So what are we saying? We have the ball. We're on offense. We're taking the name of Jesus and his kingdom's message. We're establishing, extending it throughout the earth and it's gonna be difficult at times. Trouble's gonna come. So be tough-minded Be pure-hearted, be aware, be calm, be confident, be resilient. And then finally, don't freak out. I know it's like, I got 15 minutes left. He's like, y'all, he just said finally. Don't get too excited. Number seven, in the middle of all this, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Look at verse 23. Jesus says, when... They persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, 
you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. There's a good bit of debate about exactly what all that means. I'm quite sure I don't know what all that means. But I know who it means. Jesus says, before the Son of Man comes. Well, who is the Son of Man? Well, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man more than any other title in the Gospels. Over a hundred times, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. And some say, well, he's doing that just to remind us that not only is he God, but he's fully human. They would say this is a subtle way that Jesus is reminding us of his humility. And I wouldn't argue with that. I think we can take from Son of Man, it's a reminder of his humanity. It's a reminder of his humility. But I don't know that Jesus would say it over a hundred times if that's all that it meant. Like at some point you're going, I get it, you're a man, you're humble, you're a servant, got it, you can lay off now. I think there was something else to that title, Son of Man, that Jesus was pressing into our minds and our hearts. Now watch this. Matthew 10 is this telescoping kind of prophetic truth, right? You with me? You've been, were you awake when I talked about that? You good now? Welcome back, everybody, all right? So that, that's Matthew 10, telescoping into the future. Well, there's a passage of scripture, many more actually, but one in particular in the Old Testament that is the same. It's telescoping prophecy, starting here and advancing forward. And I think that that passage and our passage today in Matthew 10 are kind of like peanut butter and jelly. They kind of go together. So I want to show you this. It's in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7 is a very challenging chapter that would take me probably a number of weeks to dig it all out for us. So we don't have that kind of time, obviously, today. But we'll hit the high points on it, and I'll show you what I want to get at. First, let me set the stage here. Are there any of our children in the room from Bible school this week? Y'all remember the timeline? The kingdom split, help me out if you remember that, the kingdom split, and what, what happened to the northern kingdom? Say it again. Come on, come on, look at these sweet, precious girls over here. What happened to the northern kingdom? Conquered by the Assyrians, they're gone, they're defeated. What happened to the southern kingdom of Judah? Say it, say it, Brooklyn, say it loud, Brooklyn. They got enslaved to who? Do you remember? Who said it? Babylonians. Good job, at least Babylonians. They get taken into captivity into Babylon. Among the people that got taken into Babylonian captivity is a guy by the name of Daniel. While Daniel is there, Daniel chapter seven, God is communicating with Daniel through these crazy dreams and visions. He's beginning to reveal truth to Daniel. Why? Because like us, Daniel has been sent into the wolf's den and the lion's den. He's in enemy territory, but he's not there by happenstance. He's not there by mistake. Under the sovereign hand of God, he has been sent there. What looks like Satan has intended for evil, God is actually using for good. 
And that's always the story for us as God's people. And God's speaking to Daniel through some crazy dreams. But these dreams, they mean a lot prophetically, but they mean a lot personally. To Daniel, they mean this. Daniel, I got this. Daniel, I'm still God. Daniel, I have a plan. Daniel, my plan's not gonna be stopped. So let's read it. Daniel chapter seven, verse one. In the first year of King Belshazzar of Babylon, Daniel had a dream with visions in his mind as he was lying in his bed. He wrote down the dream, and here is the summary of his account. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I was watching, and suddenly the four winds of heaven stirred up the great sea. Four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Watch this. He's, he's pointing us to telescoping prophecies now. These four beasts represent four different world powers. That's what he's seeing. What he's getting a glimpse of that he doesn't probably fully understand is through this telescoping prophecy, God's laying out for him about 4,000 years of human history, right? So he says, these four huge beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion but had eagle's wings. Most people think this is the Babylonian empire. It was the present moment. Right? This is where Daniel is. He's in Babylon. And he's I continued watching until its wings were torn off. It was lifted up from the ground, set on its feet like a man, and given a human mind. And suddenly, another beast appeared. Kingdoms come and go like that overnight, right? Babylonian kingdom gone, Persian empire. Another beast appeared, a second that looked like a bear. It was raised up on one side with three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up. Gorge yourself on flesh. And after this, while I was watching, suddenly another beast appeared. This is believed to be the Greek empire. It was like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. It had four heads, and it was given dominion. And after this, kingdoms come and go. Empires rise and fall. After this, I was watching in the night visions, and suddenly a fourth beast appeared, believed to be the Roman empire, frightening and dreadful and incredibly strong, and large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed, and it trampled with its feet whatever was left. It was different. From all the beasts before it, and it had 10 horns. And while I was considering the horns, suddenly another horn, a little one. This is weird, but believed to be the Antichrist. We're, we're, we're knocking on 4,000 years of history right here, right? Now it's telescoping all the way out into the future. So this little horn came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And suddenly in this horn, there were eyes like the eyes of a human and a mouth that was speaking arrogantly. Is that it? Is that the end of the story? Is that as far as history goes? Does it end with this final world power, with the Antichrist at the helm? The end didn't go so well. Bad news. No. He says, I kept watching. You see that? You see it? Verse nine. Daniel said, I kept watching. Because God wasn't finished. We hadn't got to that place yet. He says, I kept watching. Thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, you know who that is? That is Almighty God. That is the one that I told you earlier is not bound by space or time. He has no beginning. He has no end. He says, the Ancient of Days took his seat. It was like this, all rise, and God walks in and sits down in his seat. This is like a courtroom. This is a scene of judgment. 
And his clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence, and thousands upon thousands served him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. I'm pretty sure I'm in that number. And the court was convened, and the books were open, and I watched. Keep watching, brother. I watched then because of the sound of the arrogant words the horn was speaking. And as I continued watching, the beast was killed and his body destroyed and given over to the burning fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was removed, but an extension of life was granted to them for a certain period of time. I continued watching. It ain't over. It ain't over. I continued watching in the night visions. And suddenly, one like a son of man, The same title that Jesus used more than any other to describe himself. One like a son of man, like a human, watch this, was coming with the clouds of heaven. Sounds like something I've read in Thessalonians. And he approached the ancient of days. Now let me ask you, who is worthy to approach the ancient of days? Jesus. And bonus, those who were in Jesus. I'm worthy to approach the ancient of days today because I'm in Jesus. And so this is Jesus, the son of man. And the Bible says he was escorted before the ancient of days and he was given dominion, power and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. There will be no more kingdom. There will be no other king. This is it. This is how the story ends. And his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And what is Matthew telling us that Jesus is preaching all throughout the book of Matthew? The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. The king has come and he is establishing his kingdom. He is extending his kingdom into the world. Jesus is the good shepherd and he is the king and he is the son of man. All the way back to Daniel, to a time when God's people had been sent into wolf territory and Jesus is telling Daniel, and all the other friends of Daniel. I got this. I'm God. I'm the son of man. I'm the king of the universe. My kingdom is coming. Better days are coming. The wolves aren't always gonna last. I am coming and my kingdom will not be stopped. So when Jesus says in Matthew 10, 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the son of man comes. What he's saying is this trouble is not gonna last forever. It's coming to an end because King Jesus is coming. The Son of Man is coming, the Good Shepherd, and he will reign as king, and his sheep are gonna reign with him forever, and the wolves will be no more. So what are we saying? I'm saying I didn't just come to church today. I am saying he has sent me, and I believe he has sent many of you into the wolf den to proclaim that King Jesus has come and he is coming. It won't be easy. So what do you do? Tough-minded? Pure-hearted? Be alert, be calm, be confident, be resilient, and be encouraged. I watched in the first hour today, I got to hug her before this service started. And I know she's 
unless God decides to do a miraculous healing in her life, cancer will be the vehicle that God uses to bring her into his presence. I was standing by my wife in the first service and I said, look back there. Look at her worshiping. Hands lifted. In the face of the wolves of cancer and death. She stood beautifully and boldly and calmly and resiliently with great encouragement because she knows who her king is and she knows he's coming. Jesus, thank you for being our king, for being our shepherd. Thank you that when the worst of days come, you will be there with us. You will be our grace. You will be our strength. You will be our voice when we have none of our own. So God, would you fill us now with your spirit that we might be followers of you in this world, that we would joyfully and boldly seek to establish your kingdom every place where our feet touch. And when the trouble comes, we will lift our eyes to the Son of Man the one and only chief shepherd, king of all kings, Lord of all lords, Jesus. I would invite you to stand and let's worship him. And let's celebrate 